Welcome, welcome, welcome. I would like to welcome you to episode 403 of the Unpopular Podcast. This is the man, the myth, the legend, Jalen Hunter. Here at the Unpopular Podcast, I'm going to you agree with me. I'm asking you to hear me out. Uh, for the people that didn't listen to my last episode, I told you guys that I was going to be out of town last week or this week, I guess you can say, which is why you didn't really get any clips from the last episode, which is why you didn't get an episode on Wednesday. I was out of town. I was able to get to see my family, and it it, it felt good to, to be back home to see my family. And on top of that, obviously, I'm going to start this episode. It's going to feel a little dated. I'm going to start this episode talking about the Super Bowl. Uh, don't worry. I'm going to put the timestamps in the description. So if you don't want to hear me say anything about the Super Bowl, you can just skip to the next topic. Uh, but, of course... I'm going to start with the Super Bowl. And with the Super Bowl, it's obvious. So nothing that I'm saying is going to be out of pocket or nothing that I'm saying is going to be out of the realm of being obvious. But when you get to the Super Bowl, obviously that is the last game of the season. And obviously the margin of error is minuscule. And... It's minuscule because obviously there's not another game. This is the last game. This is the game for all the Marvels. You've gotten to where you need to get to, and this is the game to solidify if you're going to be a Super Bowl champion or not. And what we're learning and what we're seeing is that margin, which is already minuscule, shrinks to almost an atom. When you're playing against Patrick Mahomes. There's a reason why people are saying that this is one of the greatest accomplishments that an individual or a team has ever reached. It's not because it's a Super Bowl. You know, obviously everyone wants to win a Super Bowl. And it's not just because, you know, this is Patrick Mahomes third Super Bowl. This is his third, I believe, Super Bowl MVP. And Patrick Mahomes is considered one of, if not the greatest quarterback of all time. The reason why is because of the season. And we talk about it ad nauseum this entire season. I put clips out about it. I talked about it last episode when we discussed, you know, just the the way that the Chiefs got here. This one of the reasons why I was so upset with the Baltimore Ravens. And one of the reasons why I feel like that window that was wide open this year for the Baltimore Ravens may not be open again for a while, even with Lamar Jackson and how great Lamar Jackson is, is because when you have a player that you're playing with and or that you're playing against or that's in the league that is just leaps and bounds better than everyone else. It's hard. You have to seize opportunities. And this was the opportunity this year, whether we talk about the weakness at the wide receiver position, the weakness at uh, the offensive line. It's this was the time. And one of the reasons why you're hearing a lot of people say that this was the greatest run is because of all those factors. We talk about the factors to winning games and the factors to winning Super Bowls. The Chiefs don't have, didn't, let me say for this year, didn't have a lot of them. 
you know, we talk about having that bona fide number one receiver. We talk about having that solidified running game. We talk about having that staunch defense. Now, while the Chiefs had a couple of those marks, they didn't have all of them. And usually what you see in Super Bowl teams, all of them are checked outside of this Kansas City Chiefs team. Because you have that X factor. You have that one variable that can never be measured, and that is Patrick Mahomes. We can talk about Travis Kelsey, who was great, Hall of Famer, all-timer. We can talk about Andy Reid, who was great, Hall of Famer, all-timer. We can talk about the emergence of an Isaiah Pacheco and how important he is to this team. We can talk about the greatness of Chris Jones and how important he is. We can talk about the greatness of Sneed. We can talk about the greatness of Reed. We can talk about the greatness of of Rasheed Rice, who has emerged as a great, a, a really good receiver for them. But none of that matters if there is no Patrick Mahomes at the driver's seat. Obviously, yes, because he's a quarterback and you have to get everyone the ball outside of, of course, Chris Jones and Sneed because they're on the defensive side of the ball. But this is Patrick Mahomes is is the person that you can never, ever quantify. Because even when and we've seen it this year, even when he has been down and out, even when it looks like he is at his weakest point. He rises to the occasion. So let's talk about the Super Bowl for a second. And let's talk about how we have, as we sit here today, we are looking at a current NFL dynasty. Now, got a lot of hate, got a lot of pushback for me saying that Patrick Mahomes is the greatest quarterback we've ever seen. That doesn't mean that he is going to eclipse the accomplishments that Tom Brady has eclipsed. I don't think that's I don't think we'll ever see a player, a quarterback, any player exceed or even reach the accomplishments that Tom Brady has reached. I think Tom Brady is forever going to be in a class of his own. But what's interesting about that argument and that conversation is when we talk about now, which I think this is a testament to how great Patrick Mahomes is, when we talk about greatness and we talk about the difference and the margins between Patrick Mahomes and Tom Brady, the only thing that comes up when we talk about Tom Brady is two things. One the accomplishments and the championships and how long the dynasty lasted with, of course, uh, Bill Belichick and the New England Patriots, as well as going to the Tampa Buccaneers and winning. And then also we talk about how Tom Brady beat Patrick Mahomes. He is two of Patrick Mahomes' three playoff losses. Great. Nothing wrong with that. And that's those are very important pieces to that argument. But we but when we talk about talent, when we talk about intangibles, yes, I, I I'm not going to be naive in thinking that 
Patrick Mahomes is as great as Tom Brady when we talk about just sheer accomplishments. Obviously, Patrick Mahomes hasn't done what Tom Brady has done. He hasn't played also. He hasn't he also has not played as long as Tom Brady has played so far, but teach his own. But Patrick Mahomes to me is the most talented quarterback I've ever seen. And it's not just arm strength, it's not just accuracy, it's not just running ability, it's it's everything that it takes to be a quarterback, whether that's timely passes, smart passes, understanding clock management, understanding angles, being able to throw the ball at different angles. Being it's there's nothing Patrick Mahomes can't do. Now, I'm not saying yes, I think Josh Allen probably has a stronger arm than Patrick Mahomes. I know for sure Lamar Jackson runs better than Patrick Mahomes. Um, I know Matthew Stafford might throw the ball at better angles and different angles, but when you're concocting a prototype for a quarterback and when you're building the greatest quarterback, a lot of the things that you're taking and when you – mold the the greatest quarterback ever a lot of those intangibles are gonna look like Patrick Mahomes so getting back to the Super Bowl when you go into a Super Bowl and Patrick Mahomes on the other side you know and you understand as a as a team as a coaching staff as a player that while, yes, the margin of error is small because it's already the Super Bowl, it gets even smaller because errors and, – and I talk about the margin of error a lot on this podcast, but what does that mean in this sense? It means if you mess up, if you do anything wrong – now, obviously, people are human. Things happen. It's, it is what it is. But – the mar- I say the margin of error is so small because in those moments, if you give Patrick Mahomes or give someone to the caliber of Patrick Mahomes a better opportunity or a slight advantage, that is that is the that is the difference that can cost you a game, that can cost you a Super Bowl. So going into the Super Bowl, you already know if you're a 49ers fan. Uh, and you already know if you're a 49ers team, if you're a 49ers player, if you're a 49ers coach, you have to maximize on every opportunity. This is probably the sec this is the second game in a row that the Kansas City Chiefs comes in as the lesser team. They were by far the lesser team when we we're talking about the Baltimore Ravens. And they were the lesser team when we're talking about the 49ers. The difference is, while yes, the Kansas City Chiefs is the Kansas City Chiefs were the lesser team, they had the best player. And that while it it means something different in terms of basketball and football, it still means something in vital when you have the best player for both teams. And that's no offense to anybody on the Baltimore Ravens, and that's no offense to anybody in the 49ers, but that's just truth. When we're doing a player's draft of this of this season, of this, not, not just this season, of the current players, you would be foolish not to pick Patrick Mahomes number one. 
In fact, if you're sitting there at number two and you have Patrick Mahomes on the board, you would probably say that's the biggest steal in NFL history. This current iteration of Patrick Mahomes. So if you're the 49ers, you understand that there's nothing that you can there, there's I'm not gonna say there's nothing that you can do, but you ha, you cannot give. It doesn't matter how weak the Chiefs are. You still have that guy wearing number 15. You 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 can't. That margin of error is, is non-existent. Game plans are important. I talked about that with Baltimore when they played the Chiefs. Game plans are important. And identity is important. While your game plan can change and should change, but de- depending on the opponent, your identity should never change. Because while game plan is important, identity is what got you to where it got you. Anyone that watched the Super Bowl would probably attest that the first half was 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 fairly boring. And it was boring because both teams were playing to their identities. You know, the Kansas City Chiefs, they they were they were a team all season that was kind of shaky on the offense outside of Patrick Mahomes and there are times with the connect, you know, where his connection with Travis Kelsey was strong and Isaiah Pacheco was running the ball. They were sticking to their identity. And the 49ers were doing the same thing. You have the best running back in the league in Christian McCaffrey. You also have the player that won offensive player of the year in Christian McCaffrey. You also have people like Debo Samuels. You have George Kittle. You have Brandon Ayuk. You have really good offensive pieces, and you have a staunch defense. Fred Warner, Dre Greenlaw, uh, Nick Bosa. You brought on um, Chase Young, a staunch defense. And both teams were – the reason why the first half for a lot of people were boring, and I, I will be on that, but I think it was a little boring the first half, is because both teams were, weren't giving way. Both teams were not budging from their identity, and both teams were, I'm not going to say they were feeling each other out, but that window, that window that is going to open for one team or the other wasn't opening yet. The Chiefs were down 10-7, or 10-0. And for a lot of people, that's ten being down ten points is game over in the Super Bowl for some, but it's not for the Chiefs. You just wait for that window. Now, sometimes the window doesn't come, and sometimes it does. And I, I kind of wanted to bring in the Baltimore Ravens and the AFC Championship because. When we talk about identity, one of the biggest reasons why I was so upset with the Baltimore Ravens is because they went against their identity. And in the second half, and I give all the credit to Spagnolia, the defensive coordinator for the Chiefs, and 
just the the greatness of that organ is that coaching staff from Spags from Andy Reid. It seemed like the 49ers abandoned their identity for a second, not for a second, for a half. A lot of heat, and we talked about this before, but we saw it in broad daylight for the Super Bowl or in the Super Bowl. A lot of people killed Cam Newton for his game manager versus game changer takes. And some of the people that he put on the list for the game managers compared to the game changers was, you know, got people in an uproar, got the the blogs going. Hell, we even talked about it here on this podcast. And one person, obviously, that was on that game managers list was Brock Purdy. Now, to be clear, Cam Newton made it a point to say that if you're a game, there's being a game manager isn't a bad thing. But when you get to places like the Super Bowl and you get to when you're going against an all timer, you need a game changer. And Brock Purdy is a game manager. And in a very rare sense, Cam Newton didn't say this, but I'll say this in a very rare sense. They have a player in the 49ers, have a player on their roster that is a game changer that's not a quarterback, and that is Christian McCaffrey. But it seemed like in the second half, they went away from that, and they put the ball in Brock Purdy's hands. And as we sit here now, obviously the season's over. The Kansas City Chiefs won the Super Bowl. Brock Purdy, these are the passing yards. Brandon Ayuk, three receptions for 49 yards. Juwan Jennings, four receptions, 42 yards. Debo Samuels, three receptions, 33 yards. Kyle Juszczyk, three, two receptions, 31 yards. George Kittle, two receptions, four yards. We saw it. We saw the window open. Whether it was Dre Greenlaw tearing his ACL, running onto the field, and I hope for a speedy recovery for him. Whether it was the punt that hit the that hit the uh, receiving team and hit hit the back of the dude's leg, and the Chiefs got the ball with a small field. Those moments cost you mightily. And as we sit here today, the Kansas City Chiefs <laughs> won their, what, third Super Bowl in five years, six years, I think. I think that the 49ers is a great team. And when you look at roster for roster, 
it would be hard for me to choose the Kansas City Chiefs over the 49ers ten, nine times out of ten. It's just when you get to that one player. And there's not a play. There's, there's probably two or three players in this league that you feel that way for. That they can be going against a team that is far better than them. Because if you look at the roster, the 49ers is far better than the Chiefs. Especially this year. But I'd still pick the Chiefs. There's only a few people. There's Lamar Jackson. There is Joe Burrow when he's when healthy. Patrick Mahomes. And maybe Josh Allen. That's it. I think Patrick Mahomes is the greatest quarterback I've ever seen. I think Travis Kelsey is the greatest tight end that I've ever seen. I think Andy Reid is one of the greatest coaches. I would say top four or five coaches I've ever seen. And now we're, we're, we're talking about a dynasty. Which I don't think people understand how rare dynasties are. Now, we as consumers, as fans of sports, have been greedy and privileged to live through, I've lived through three dynasties, which is crazy (laughs) because dynasties just don't happen for, for dynasties. They just, that just doesn't happen. So when you hear me say I've lived through four dynasties, two in New England Patriots, five, five, two New England Patriot dynasties, the um, can, uh, Golden State Warriors dynasty. Nobody talks about this one, but the Oklahoma softball dynasty. And now this Kansas City Chiefs one. So when you hear when I when you hear you've lived through, quote unquote, four or five dynasties, people think that that's a regularity. People think that that is something that you just happen. It just happens and it doesn't because outside of those, you I mean, you have the UCLA way back in the 60s and 70s. You have, what, the Steelers back in the day, Cowboys back in the day, the Celtics with the Bill Russell era, the Lakers with the Shaq and Kobe era. You have the New York Yankees. You have the Red Sox. But that's about it. Mind you, there is multiple years and multiple teams that have never seen a dynasty. So, when we talk about it, people talk about this like it's regular, like it's normal. It's not. At all. And I think that 
is important to to understand that what we're seeing is rare. And as I'm sitting here today, of course you have they have to figure out what's going to happen with Sneed, what's going to happen with Chris Jones. I don't think Chris Jones is going to come back because you had a chance to pay him before and you didn't, so I don't know why you pay him now. So I think Chris Jones might be out of here, and that could affect a lot of things. But as I'm sitting here today, it's very hard for me to pick anyone else outside of Kansas City Chiefs to be the first team since Tom Brady's dynasty uh, Patriots and win, go go back to back to back, win three straight. Because you still have that guy in Patrick Mahomes. So congratulations to the Kansas City Chiefs for beating the 49ers 25-22 to in the Super Bowl. Before we get off the Super Bowl, I want to talk about something. I want to talk about reactions. You can kind of throw expectations out the window because both teams expect to win. Now, obviously, there are some teams that are better than others in the Super Bowl that make it to the Super Bowl. But when you get to the Super Bowl, the only expectation out of both franchises is to win. But it's 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 very it's it's very fascinating to see how both teams react after the fact. Obviously you have one team that's elated. You have one team that is a champion, one team that is jumping for joy, one team that is obviously at the peak, at the mountaintop and and victorious there so they're happy they're getting ready for the parade oh speaking of parade i want to uh send my condolences to everyone that was affected in the shooting for the at the parade at the kansas chiefs parade i know one person lost their life from what's being reported now rest in peace to them uh i i i pray for every i I pray for strength for everyone that has to deal with that i Obviously, it, it, that is that is tough, man. You go. That is supposed to be a day of joy, of bliss, of of elation, and it turns to horror quickly. And you have kids there. You have elder. You you have people there that obviously didn't expect to be in a shootout. You know what I mean? So I pray for everyone that was affected. I pray for everyone that was wounded, and I pray for the family of the person that lost their life. Uh, it, it's it's unfortunate. So I pray for you guys, and it's I, I, I'm sorry to hear about every you know the people that were affected by the shooting at Kansas in, in the Kansas City Parade. But getting back to what I was saying, I'm talking about reactions, and I'm talking about the reaction. Not just of the winning team, but of the losing team. Steve Wilkes, who was now the defensive coordinator for the 49ers, was quickly fired after the game. Probably two or three days after the Super Bowl, he was fired. 
And it looks like that he, for lack of a better term, was the scapegoat or was the person that they were going to put the blame on for not essentially winning the Super Bowl. We, again, we talk about decisions and we talk about the margin of error and some of the decisions, some of the, the, the times when you needed a defensive stop, you were unable to get it. I'm not going to put that on the 49ers. I'm putting that on the greatness of Patrick Mahomes and the Chiefs. But let's let's elaborate a little bit. I think Steve Wilkes. You know, this is going to this is going to sound crazy for my, for me to say that. You know, I'm not going to say this. What I'm going to say is Steve Wilkes. I hate talking about Steve Wilkes. Because Steve Wilkes is the only coach multiple times that I can think of that did not deserve to be fired. Multiple times. Whether you're talking about the head coach of the Arizona Cardinals, whether you're talking about the interim head coach of the Carolina Panthers, whether we're talking about the defensive coordinator for the 49ers. Steve Wilkes, when we talk about him, he does everything right everything right and still continues to get the raw end of the stick I'm looking at Kyle Shanahan there is no doubt in my mind that Kyle Shanahan is one of the best coaches in football no doubt there is no doubt in my mind that the 49ers are a better team because Kyle Shanahan is the coach of that team No doubt in my mind. But as we've seen in sports, great players, great coaches, great people can make mistakes. And whether we talk about some of the the offensive plays, some of the decision-making, the play calls, whether we talk about the overtime situation where you elect to get the ball first and let Patrick Mahomes in the game on you. Or we talk about the three and four play, I believe, which would have been an easy touchdown in the overtime. And you leave Chris Jones, their best defender, unblocked with a straight line to your quarterback, which made the throw rushed and didn't get the touchdown. You settled for three. That's not a defensive thing. Kyle Shanahan has been to what? Four or five, either NFC championships or Super Bowls. And every single time he's he's come up short. Again, I'm not taking away from Kyle Shanahan. I think Kyle Shanahan is one of the best coaches in football. But I do also, I do want to highlight the fact of, even with that, Kyle Shanahan, who has had the better team in a lot of those NFC or Super Bowl matchups, has lost. Yet and still... You want to, I'm not saying he did, but it looks like. These are the optics. You want to blame Steve Wilkes or put the onus on Steve Wilkes 
They held Pat the great Patrick Mahomes to 19 second half points. That's great in the Super Bowl. Steve Wilkes didn't make the didn't make the decision to receive the ball in overtime. Steve Wilkes didn't make some of the Steve Wilkes isn't the reason why George Kittle had two receptions for four yards. Steve Steve Wilkes isn't the reason that Debo Samuels has three receptions for 33 yards. That's not on Steve Wilkes. And again, it's unfortunate that every single time I talk about Steve Wilkes in this instance, in this instance, he always receives something or he he didn't deserve to be fired. He shouldn't have been. They said that the the defense wasn't clicking as far as the front end of the defense and the, and the back end of the defense wasn't connected. Well, didn't you lose key players on both sides, like on both the front and the backs of the defense this entire year, which could have been a reason why things were not as staunch as it was in the beginning of the year? Or the fact that you bring in a whole force on the defense and Chase Young that has to it has to integrate himself into an entirely different organization, entirely different scheme. Or the fact that you lost Dre Greenlaw, one of your best defenders in the Super Bowl, running onto the field. Torn ACL. It's unfortunate, man. People that want to blame Steve Wilkes. Steve Wilkes did a hell of a job as the 49ers defensive coordinator. Unfortunately, it's all about reactions and somebody has to take the blame. And as unfair that I think it is, it was him. Instead of the fact of you taking on and the fact that a lot you sputtered on offense and you made some very poor offensive decisions and you're playing an all-time player so but shouts out to the Kansas City Chiefs for beating the 49ers 25 to 22 uh oh that usher performance is pretty good too <laughs> I will say that uh, let's let's move forward. When you watch Patrick Mahomes, you know that you're watching something that you've never seen before. You know that you're watching a once in a generational player. Quite as is kept, that's the same feeling you get to a lesser extent because obviously to me he's not better than him. But that's the same feeling that I get sometimes when I watch uh, Lamar Jackson. I've never seen a player like Lamar Jackson. Same thing, same type of feeling you have when you watch someone like Aaron Donald. It's not just football. Me watching LeBron James... I've never seen a player like LeBron James. Same way I feel watching someone like Steph Curry. I've never seen a player like Steph Curry. These are once-in-a-generation type players. When we watch them, when we see them, 
we need to respect what we're seeing and we need to marvel at what we're seeing because the phrase once in a generation is exactly that. You're not going to get this again for a while. You may have players that are close. You may have players that are extremely talented, but once in a generation is a once in a generation. And I'm and the reason why I put Lamar Jackson in that class is because we've never seen a, a mobile player play like Lamar Jackson. We've never seen a player as great, in my opinion, as Patrick Mahomes. Hell, we've never seen a team and a player like Tom Brady and the Patriots. What am I getting to? Caitlin Clark is one of those players. Caitlin Clark is one of those once-in-a-generation players. And... We have to respect what we're seeing out of her and what we're seeing from or what the future could hold with Caitlin Clark. So Caitlin Clark sets the WNCAA scoring record, overcome overtaking Kelsey Plum. Caitlin Clark now sits with the record with 3000 or scoring 3590 or 3 oh my goodness 3569 points completely clearing uh Kelsey Plum who was 3527 she needed 8 points going into the game going into uh what the game 2 day 2 or 3 days ago against Michigan she needed eight points. Not only did she score the first eight points of the game, she finished the game with, I think, 49 points, completely shattering the record. And she still has games to go. Caitlin Clark is the most popular thing in women's sports right now. That is on top of Simone Biles. That's on top of uh, Shakira Richardson, Angel Reese, Asia Wilson. And I'm not saying she's better. I'm talking about popularity. I was watching the Gilbert Arenas podcast or Gil's Arena. And they were talking about... uh, Michael Porter Jr.'s comments about women's basketball and the pay gap. I'm not going to go into exactly what they said. Go check that out. And I'm also not going to talk about the pay gap right now. But what I'm going to talk about is one of the things that Gilbert Arenas and I believe Lexi Brown and Rashid, Rashad McCant, I'm sorry, what they said was the WNBA has a connectability issue at times because you see a lot of players that are older because it's so challenging to make it and to stay in the WNBA because there's so little roster spots that a lot of great young players that may have been incredible in college that ultimately 
doesn't have the space or room in the WNBA, they fall to the wayside. And while the WNBA is increasing year after year in in popularity, it still misses that connection. It still misses that mark at times. Because while, yes, you have an Asia Wilson, there's not many players in the WNBA that a lot of younger girls connect to which ultimately hurts the way that you can promote the league, which hurts the way that you grow the league, which hurts the way that, you know, just just the way that the league operates. And you're seeing these women, these 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 women in college, whether that's Caitlin Clark, whether that's Juju Watkins, whether that's uh, Angel Reese, DeAsia Fair from Syracuse, or she, yeah, Syracuse. These women are are bigger names than most WNBA, if not all the WNBA, and. I'm not saying I, I get it because of the roster spots and, and the the lack of availability in a lot of areas. Why there is a rule that they have to stay in the league for, I think, three years. But but what I'm saying is they're growing all this buzz in college. The WNBA needs to find a way to continue that buzz when they get there. And what we've seen is they've had a very tough time. Remember how popular, and this is no offense to her at all, so this is no offense to any players, but remember how popular Aaliyah Boston was in college and how that popularity is nowhere close to where it is now with, I believe, the Indiana Fever? The only person that right now has exceeded their popularity or match their popularity from college to the WNBA is Asia Wilson right now. And that just so happens to be the best player in the WNBA and on a team that just won back-to-back championships. Kaylin Clark is a once-in-a-generation talent. And I just, this batch of players, me and obviously they all aren't going to be able to be drafted at the same time because I think, you know, they got freshmen or whatever. But this batch of college players, whether that's, like I said, Caitlin Clark, whether that's Angel Reese, whether that's Juju Watkins, whether that's Paige Beckers. This batch, you have to find a way to tap into their popularity now, moving forward. Because I think, I don't know if they can't, I don't know if they just haven't figured out a way how, but that is what's going to take the WNBA over the over the top. 
Now, don't get me wrong. There is some incredible basketball being played in the WNBA. I'm not here disrespecting the players. I'm not here saying that the players are trash. I'm not saying that. I'm not here saying it's bad basketball. It's not. But what the WNBA has and the issues I'll say that it has is a marketing issue. I've talked about this ad nauseum. The WNBA should be way bigger than it is, but it has a marketing issue. And the marketing issue isn't just, you know, Instagram post isn't commercials. No, the marketing issue is they have an a prop maybe because the players have to stay so long in college that when they build they build this they build this cachet, this fandom in college, and it for for lack of a better term, goes by the wayside in the WNBA. Because a lot of the players, remember Alexis Morris? I'm not saying she was the greatest WNBA or college player, but she was a popular college player. Last time I checked, she's with the Golden or the Harlem Gold Trotters right now. And that's no offense to her, but what I'm saying is, how did you not, how are you not able to maximize the popularity of Alexis Morris? Now, I understand there were some personal things that she said about the league and about stuff like that, but still. It's incredibly difficult. This is a new age in sports. This is a new age in life. Social media is bigger than ever. It's more important to growth than ever. And the WNBA needs to find a way to maximize that. And that's the way that they'll grow. That's the way that they'll reach another level. But... Congratulations to Caitlin Clark for breaking the NCAA women's all-time scoring record. That was once held by the Vegas Aces' very own Kelsey Plum. Again, about Caitlin, she is a once-in-a-generational player. I've seen a lot of jokes about, you know, she's doing this in the W, uh, WNCAA, don't just take it to the men's side. She couldn't. She couldn't do this in the NBA. These are from the same people that couldn't even make their high school team. Congratulations to Caitlin Clark for breaking the record and shattering the record. Because again, she still has games to go. You know what's so fascinating? I, I want to talk about uh, Clay Thompson for a second. What's so fascinating about Clay Thompson is we're seeing something that is incredibly rare from Clay Thompson. We're seeing a star try to figure out in real time how to deal with his sports mortality. That's life, you know. Things, the older you get, 
the more tread that you put in your body, the further and further away that you get from your apex. The further and further away you get from your magnum opus, I guess. And for some players, they're able... You don't really have to see them deal with it because they retire. Or they were never that great to to begin with, so the fall wasn't as steep. Some players, you don't get to see it. Injuries can just... They go from injured or great injured, and they're just gone. But what you're seeing out of Clay Thompson is a person that is fighting it. And there are some nights when it seems that Clay Thompson is accepting it. Then there's some nights that he's not accepting it at all. Actually, let me say, most nights he's not accepting it at all. We talk about importance to teams, and we talk about dynasties. We talked about dynasty when we were talking about the Kansas City Chiefs. Clay Thompson is a major factor and a major reason why Golden State not only has four banners hanging up from 2015 to 2022 or to now, but he's he's one of the main reasons why the Golden State Warriors is valued at what they are. And they're one of the most marketable franchises in sports right now. We t- when we talk about the great, you know, you know, when we when we give out credit. We always talk about Steph Curry and rightfully so. And we always describe Steph Curry as the greatest shooter that God's ever created, greatest shooter ever, which is true. A lot of people want to accredit the dynasty to Kevin Durant, which I have no problem in. Kevin Durant it obviously was a game changer. He is a top 10 or 15 to 10, whatever you want to call him, player of all time. Obviously, he was incredibly important in their success. But the thing about Clay Thompson is he has done things that neither Kevin Durant or Steph Curry has done. And I don't think they could do. I think Clay Thompson, in my opinion, you can argue if you would like, it's fine. But in my opinion, Clay Thompson is the second greatest shooter that the world has ever seen. And he's done things like 30. He has the most points in the quarter with 37. He has 60 points on like 11 dribbles. Six, I'll say that again. 60 points on 11 dribbles. We talk about game six clay a lot and how a lot of the championships rested on him having to save the day, even with Kevin Durant, even with Steph Curry and Draymond Green. But what we're seeing now, this clay is far from that clay. And a lot of it is because of the injuries. He had two lower leg injuries that were season ending back to back. And while 
people want to say, well, he won the championships in 2022. Yeah. But you, you also realize that was a that season was a struggle. He just caught fire at, at, at the right time. But even in the finals, he wasn't that good in the playoffs, actually. And we're seeing now Clay Thompson struggle with accepting that. We hear clips about it and whatever, but he's struggling. Now, Clay Thompson got benched. And that's kind of what I want to uh, talk about right now. He got benched, and the one, the first game he got benched, he dropped 35 points, season high. He looked like the clay of old. I want to, I want to, I want to focus on that for a second because that is Clay's been Clay getting benched is major for the Golden State Wars in a couple ways and could be could do wonders for the Golden State and also could hinder the Golden State Warriors. It's it's no question that Golden State has struggled this year. I mean, they're 26 and 26 going into the All-Star break. With this roster, they should be much better than that. So we don't need to we've talked about it ad nauseum on this podcast multiple times. But I'll focus on Clay Thompson. Clay Thompson is having one of his worst seasons as a professional in his career, in his NBA life. He's averaging 17 points a game, four rebounds, two assists, shooting 42% from the field. That is some of the worst numbers he's had since his rookie year. And I said going into the season that the Golden State Warriors championship, uh, their championship hopes rest on two players' shoulders. Clay Thompson and Andrew Wiggins. Andrew Wiggins has been that we're not even going to talk about how he's done the first half of the season, but Clay Thompson, Clay Thompson has been vital for the Golden State Warriors, both success and not uh, unsuccess this season. He's been when he's been bad, he's been bad. Klay Thompson has tried to force things a lot. And he has been god-awful in the fourth quarter a lot of times this season. I mean, we can talk about the blunder against, uh, who was it, the Clippers. But he's been bad. So when when he gets benched and he they, they play the Utah Jazz and, again, he has 35, that can be a blessing for Klay Thompson. Because there is a difference, whether you want to admit it or not, everyone's an NBA player that's in the NBA, obviously, but there is a difference between playing with a first unit and playing with the second unit. Because the second unit, you're not playing with, I mean, if you're on the second unit, more than likely you're not good enough to be on the first unit or the first unit is better. So you get to, Clay Thompson, as much as he's struggled, he's still a first unit player. So you're playing against it. It's kind of like when you see, for a lesser extent, obviously, when you see players, stars go to the G League. Whether they come back from injury or they're struggling, they go to the G League, and then you look and they got like 58 points or something. And against like, oh, yeah, all right, okay. 
to a very to to a much better extent because the you know people in NBA aren't G League. You're not playing against the same type of talent when you're playing against the secondary second teams. So Clay Thompson, who's been struggling with his confidence, who's been struggling with his shot this year, he's able to f- to play a little freer because he knows that he's supposed to be better than the second teams. So. He plays a little freer. He's able to get his mind right. He's able to focus on just what he has to focus on, and you see the game that he has. But another thing that I want to focus on, and when I I said it can be a blessing or a curse, here's where the curse can come in. Steph Curry struggled. Steph Curry struggled against uh, the Utah Jazz. Let me... Let me go to the box score for a second. Now, you can say that it was a back-to-back, which it was, but Steph Curry went 4 for 14, 2 for 8 from 3. He missed two free throws. He had 16 points. This is also coming off the the night before he had like 40 or something against the Clippers. Now, Brandon, is it Brandon? Bobby, yeah, Brandon. I said, Bobby, Brandon Pazinski has been great. Don't get me wrong. And Quadras has kept Brandon Pazinski has played better than Clay Thompson this year. But here's where I said that Clay Thompson coming off the bench can be a curse for Golden State. I'm not the only person that thinks that, you know, Steph Curry. And Klay Thompson are arguably the greatest shooters we've ever seen. A lot of NBA teams think this. And whether Klay Thompson is having a bad season or not, that's still Klay Thompson. And you game plan differently going against someone like Klay Thompson. The spacing is different, especially in the backcourt. Well... And Pazinski uh, has been great, but Pazinski's name doesn't hold the same weight, doesn't hold the same cachet as Clay Thompson. So def- defenses guard Steph Curry and guard the Golden State Warriors differently with Clay Thompson on the court and without him. So the defensive focus can be more on Steph Curry with Pazinski in the game because people, while he can shoot, people aren't aren't looking at his shot the same way they're looking at Klay Thompson's shot. So you can focus more on Steph Curry and and, and contain him. Because I'm almost sure if you go into the game and say, yo, if after the game, uh, Brandon Pazinski had 40 points. He'd be like, damn, all right, well, nothing we can do. But if you go in there and say, Steph Curry had 40 points and Brandon Bozinski had 13 and Jonathan Kaminga had 13 and Klay Thompson had 35. I was like, all right, obviously the scouting report wasn't, we didn't, we didn't adhere to the scouting report. So what I'm saying is, yes, I think going to the bench is massive for Klay Thompson. I think that it'll help him in the long run. I said, I still don't think go. I'm sorry, they're 27 and 26 right now. I still don't think Golden State is a championship team right now because they 
their biggest issue is height and they continue to get killed on the glass and they have a tough time finishing games. I think that they've lost like six, six or seven games after being up 15 or more points, including the Clippers game that we talked about. Um, yeah, but, uh, Clay Thompson, it is very fascinating. And sometimes it's sad. Sometimes it's not watching Clay Thompson deal with his, in real time, deal with his basketball mortality. Because a lot of times, once a player gets to that point, they just retire. Like, we don't really get to see it in real time. So, especially a player at the heights that Clay Thompson was. Don't get me wrong. I know Clay Thompson isn't the face or was never the face of Golden State, but he was. Clay Thompson is a first ballot Hall of Famer. That should tell you all you need to know. As a second or third option, whether whatever you want to call them. So, yeah. Let's move forward. You know, I talk about, uh, when we talk about fit, and when we say fit matters, a lot of time we talk about players. And it's not just with players. But when when I say fit matters, a lot of time I do talk about players. And players is what comes up in that sense. Coaches fit that description too and should fit that description more actually when you're as an owner as a GM when you're deciding who is going to be the coach of your team I think it's very very important not just to see the history of the wins and losses but to see the history of the type of players they've coached and do, does your team fit the same type of players that they're used to coaching? That, especially in basketball, is a is extremely important, in my opinion, on if a, a, a coach should or should not be hired. The Milwaukee Bucks are three and seven right now under the new Doc Rivers regime. And they're on a two-game losing streak currently. Now, yes, we are on All-Star break, All-Star weekend. But going into All-Star weekend, they are on a two-game losing streak. You can feel how you feel about Doc Rivers. I don't think Doc Rivers is the greatest coach because I know a lot of people say, well, you know, he's won a considerable amount everywhere he's went. I say, yeah, but he only has one championship and he's played with some incredible names like T-Mac, like Chris Paul, like Blake Griffin, like Joel Embiid, like James Harden, and only has one championship in 2008 with the f- first quote-unquote super team <laughs> with Ray Allen, Paul Pierce, and Kevin Garnett. But what I want to focus on is you want to you know 
why I don't think the Milwaukee, I, I think now more than ever shows why I'm not going to say that they're, they're, they're going to lose a lot. I'm not going to say that they're now just going to continue to just lose every game or, you know, go three and seven spans. But one reason why I think that they're going to, they're not going to reach their pinnacle or they're not going to reach the goals that they want with Doc Rivers is because of Damian Lillard. And I'm not blaming Damian Lillard at all. In fact, I'm blaming Doc Rivers because look at the track record that Doc Rivers has with point guards. The one time he's seen success, the one time he's gotten to the mountaintop, the point guard that he had was Rajon Rondo. And if you look at the history of Doc Rivers, he has struggled with, I'm not going to say struggled. He has struggled to re- <laughs> he has struggled to reach the potential of scoring point guards. Because Doc Rivers' system is not predicated to a scoring point guard. He's pred- his his offenses are usually predicated to a pass first point guard, i.e. Rajon Rondo, i.e. Chris Paul. And you see he struggled with James Harden and Tyrese Maxey to score first point guards or guards. You can say what you how you feel about Adrian Adrian Griffin if he should or shouldn't have been fired. But what I will say is I don't think you can talk about his lack of adjustments, which is a thing with Doc Rivers. You can talk about his epic playoff collapses, which are a thing with Doc Rivers. But I won't talk about any of that because I have talked about it. But what I will talk, what what I'm highlighting is the fact of you bring in, you bring in Damian Lillard, who is in every way, shape, and form a score first player, a score first point guard, and now you have a coach that has never, I repeat, never found success with a point guard that will score first. And you wonder why they're struggling. The Milwaukee Bucks are going to win a lot of games. When you have Damian Lillard and you have Giannis, that's just going to happen. That that should be far, far beyond the best duo in it, in the NBA. But the reason why it will never be under Doc Rivers is because Doc Rivers, Doc Rivers has a track record of struggling to coach those type of players. So, good luck. <laughs> um, let's move forward. Oh, boy. Um, hmm. 
Washington. Let's let's go to football for a second. And I want to highlight how important this draft is for the Washington Commanders. I talked about a little bit last episode or maybe two episodes ago of how important today's decisions are because it drastically affects the future. And I don't know if you've been keeping up, but Washington, the Washington Commanders have made a lot of movement, whether we talk about uh, Dan Quinn being the head coach or Cliff Kingsbury being the offensive coordinator or Anthony Lynn joining the coaching staff. There's been a lot of moves. None of that matters if you don't get the right quarterback. None of it. Now, you can say that they brought in Cliff Kingsbury because of his relationship with Caleb Williams. And I would say, well, that's cool, but you still have the second overall pick, not the first. It is vital that they nail the draft. Whether you trade up to get Caleb Williams or you can even trade up to or 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 find a way to get Justin Fields, I don't know. But this draft, I think there is not a franchise or an organization in the NFL where this draft is more important for. Because of the new regime and this is this is the foundation this draft I'm not saying that the quarterback of the future you know yes I am the quarterback of your of the future has to be now you have to hit you have to hit it could be Caleb Williams it could be uh Jalen Jalen Daniels, it could be Michael Penix, it could be Justin Fields, it can be Bone. What it has Drake May. It, it look, you have to hit because all these moves, which are huge moves, but all these moves would be for nothing, and you'd be right back at square one. In fact, you'd probably be farther than square one because you had a running head start. <laughs> So I think Caleb Williams, you have to you have to do whatever it takes to get him, whether that's trade the second pick and, and give him Jonathan. I don't know, but you have to get Caleb Williams or a franchise quarterback. Got to do it. Got to. This is vital. Uh, and lastly, before we go the unpopular topic of the day. Let's talk about football. Let's talk about soccer for a second and how soccer finds themselves uh, with a little problem. So, Kylian Mbappe is by far the best young player in, in, in soccer, football, whatever you want to call it. You still have the megastars, like you still have uh, 
you know, Messi and you still have Cristiano Ronaldo. And I think that their stature, kind of like LeBron James, is always going to be up there until they leave. But the probably the third player or the third or the first best young player is Kylian Mbappe. And Kylian Mbappe has been on PSG for, I think, his entire career. Now, he's played alongside Neymar. He's played alongside uh, Lionel Messi. But Mbappe has not been happy with PSG and is about to be out of there and wants to play for Real Madrid. You're seeing this issue happen maybe not a lot, but you're seeing it. You saw it with Neymar, and now you're seeing it with Mbappe, and that is... You're seeing younger players try to force their way places. And if a club is willing to pay the transfer fee, willing to pay the fine, then they'll do it. But I think that this is going to hurt contracts moving forward because it's like, yeah, like how, how, how can I pay you? Five hundred million dollars, and and you're about to dip. Now, this Mbappe situation is a little different because he has been told PSG, which is obviously Paris Saint Germain. He's always he's obviously he's been told them they want to leave, and they, they have tried their darndest not to let him go. So, I'm very interested to see how this how this turns out now I know that he's probably going to finish the end of the season with the club but um or end of the summer with the club but I'm interested to see how if this whole player movement thing how what it looks like getting going down to the soccer or football um sector not down going to it you know so I'm interested to and I'm interested to see because PSG, bro, they have to be studied, man. Because PSG, do you know how many great players went for PSG? Now they've won, obviously, but I don't know. I don't remember a PSG player at the magnitude of, of obviously Mbappe that has left PSG on on good terms. Like, I don't think Neymar left on good terms. I know Lionel Messi didn't left on, leave on good terms, and it's looking like Mbappe is not about to leave on good terms. So. Well, they they maximize what they have when they have them and, and win. Paris Saint Germain, man, they they have a tough time retaining players, uh, but we'll see. So, and there you have it, man. That's been today's episode of the Unpopular Podcast. I truly, truly appreciate you guys. If you want a popular podcast shirt, hoodie, sweater, long sleeve joggers, the link is in the description below. I have multiple different colors, multiple different designs. Get your Unpopular Podcast merch today. Also, please subscribe to the YouTube channel, man. I'm trying to get as many subscribers as possible. Uh, Again, I was just on break and now I'm back. So, you know, the frequency of clips and reels and episodes, I'm back. So I drop pretty much content every day. Tell a friend to tell a friend to subscribe. Also, if you listen to the DSPs, whether that's Apple Podcasts, whether that's Spotify, whether that's SoundCloud, please subscribe there. Please follow there. You guys are very important as well. And 
I I take you guys' love and follow very seriously. So tell a friend, tell a friend to follow or subscribe. Also, subscribe to the socials. Uh, Instagram, TikTok, I post daily. Again, I, I did take a probably a week break, but I'm back. So getting back to posting daily. I post reels, I post stories, I post clips daily. Please subscribe. That's probably the quickest way to get to me. If you have a question, if you want to debate something, leave it in the comments. Um, and until next time, much love.